just keep being you. Welcome to the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Horlbogen. I'm on a mission to foster civility, respect, and integrity with a dash of sartorial elegance in the boardroom and beyond. And I invite you to join me on my quest. Never have to be like anybody else cause you're my favorite person when you're being yourself. A true original right from the start, straight from the heart, a great work of art, you stand apart. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast. Before I get started, I just wanna say it is uh, Wednesday, August 11th. It is like an inferno out there. I did my walk earlier this morning and uh, didn't get out there early enough. It is a hot one. So where well, this I'm in southeastern mass. So yeah, it's it's a scorcher. It's a scorcher. Anyway, let's get going on this episode. So this is episode 17 of um of my podcast, and it's a third in a series. My series called Superman Isn't Coming, Save Yourself. So if you're here for the first time, let me just do a a quick recap. So this series is based on a study that I conducted uh, earlier in the spring about how prepared or not uh, high school and college graduates felt to uh, navigate a potentially toxic workplace culture or to handle workplace bullying. And the reason this is a I'm discussing this is because I experienced it personally in the workplace. Um, I reported issues to my um, to my boss, and I was fired two days later. So, from the study, the, the data combined revealed that 73% of those who participated said they did not feel uh, prepared for for that. So, I decided I was going to uh, dedicate part of my podcast, a series of my podcast, to this to the topic. So the question for the study was, if you have experienced workplace bullying or have had to navigate a toxic workplace, what tools do you wish you had to better handle it? So in response to that, 64.3% of those surveyed said they wish they had a better understanding of the role of human resources in my situation. So just to make... Let's just go back one second. I know last week I said that we were going to talk about specific examples of workplace bullying, but I want to cover these in the order of the um, responses to the question. So actually this question regarding human resources role, if there's an issue going on at work, how how do they assist you? Will they assist you? Who are they really working for? Uh, that I wanted, that was, that was a second highest response. People wish they understood that better. They had that um, information and that um, knowledge in their toolkit to, to navigate the workplace. So we're going to focus on that today um, on episode 17, the third in the series. Let's start out with um, basically, so if you, if you have a new job, if you are a high school graduate that's gone directly into the workforce, maybe you're a voc tech graduate, um, you know, that sort of thing, uh, or you, you focus more on business in school, in high school, and you just, you know, you're going into some sort of, um, you know, role, maybe secretarial reception or something to get you into the a business office atmosphere, or if you're a college graduate and you, you're looking for your first job or, Maybe you're you're already in your first job, but you really don't understand. You know, HR is sort of this mysterious department. They gave you the, this big binder the first day, and um, they said if you have any problems, any issues at all, you just come to us. You come to us and you tell us, and we will handle everything. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that. Okay, so first, let's just give you a quick idea of the general role of human resources in an organization, according to the Balance Careers website. It asks the question, what does a human resources generalist do? So someone in the department and it, this, the duties overlap, obviously a director has a lot more um, say, final say in things, but um, it basically the role, human resources is responsible to do for recruiting and staffing logistics, organizational and space planning, performance management and improvement systems, organization development, regulatory compliance and reporting, 
employee orientation, development, and training, policy development and documentation, employee relationship management, committee facilitation, company to employee communication, compensation and benefits administration, employee safety, welfare, and wellness education. So those are all of the areas in a company or organization that HR oversees, that HR monitors, that HR is responsible for. Now that's a, a broad description, you know, over, and it would really depend on the type of company it is, um, you know, for-profit, not pro, uh, non-profit, a government, a federal um, organization, they vary slightly, but those, those are pretty much the things that human resources is responsible for. When you think about it, when you think of the word, the term itself, human resources, right? Your care, a resource is something that you have to, is a value, right? That you want to take care of. The people that work in that department, sometimes it's only one person, depending on the organization. Sometimes it can be dozens of people in human resources, depending on the size of the organization. So obviously the more employees in the, in the department, right? The, the, there's probably more focused, uh, nuanced people that you would see for certain things. Um, but they are ultimately responsible for the employee experience, the way that the employee is treated, um, if they're being paid fairly, they, they have human resource generalists and directors and anyone in, in a human resources role in an organization should have all of the information they should have everything we covered last week about the um, protected classes and the role of the EEOC and how, how to determine if something is harassment and discrimination that is considered against the law or is it just a personality conflict, things like that. So they need to be very versed in that. Um, however, they will not, as I said last week, just offer that information to you. And unfortunately, it doesn't usually come up until there's an issue. And they are doing an investigation to see if there has been discrimination, if there has been harassment. So they do have a lot on their plate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know, um, I know people that have had fantastic experiences with human resources and others like myself that did not have such a great experience. So we're going to talk later about uh, the trust factor with human resources. As far as you as the employee, right? How much can you and should you trust with someone from HR? Very important. Okay, so that is their general duties and responsibilities as a department. Now, next I want to talk about uh, the code of ethics of people that pursue a career as an HR professional. It's definitely a calling. You are working with a lot of people. You are hearing a lot, a lot of complaints and issues and pro you're problem solving and you're, you're um, trying to get the full picture and not just take one person's version of something that happens. So it is, it's, just, it's, a, it's like a social, you're a social worker, but you're also handling a lot more than just interactions between two colleagues, right? It's, is a lot to, to the rule. According to the SHRM website, um, which is an acronym that stands for Society for Human Resource Management. It's one of the largest um, in the world. It's a wealth of information on the website. So if you if if you're curious about getting into a role in HR, or if you just want to understand fully understand the role of HR before you take a new job or before you get out there in corporate America, it's a great website to visit. So again, it's SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management. So the code of ethics, according to Sharm, for a, an HR professional, I'm just going to read you a little bit of it. It says, as HR professionals, we are responsible for adding value to the organizations we serve and contributing to the ethical success of those organizations. We accept professional responsibility for our individual decisions and actions. 
We are also advocates for the profession by engaging in activities that enhance, enhance its credibility and value. So the intent to build respect, credibility, and strategic importance for the HR profession within our organizations, the business community, and the communities in which we work. To assist the organizations we serve in achieving their objectives and goals. Remember that. To assist the organizations we serve in achieving their objectives and their goals. To inform and educate current and future practitioners and organizations we serve and the general public about principles and practices that help the profession. To positively influence workplace and recruitment practices. To encourage professional decision-making and responsibility. Sorry, trying hard not to laugh at that one. Uh, to encourage social responsibility. So these, these are the things HR professionals go into their, into work every day. This is supposed to be their intent. And it's, it's a very honorable, very noble intent if they live up to it. The guidelines for HR professionals. Here we go. Adhere to the highest standard of ethical and professional behavior. Measure the effectiveness of HR in contributing to or achieving organizational goals. Number three, comply with the law. That's interesting, isn't it? Number four, work consistent with the values of the profession. Number five, strive to achieve the highest levels of service, performance, and social responsibility. Number six, advocate for the use, for the appropriate use and appreciation of human beings as employees. Advocate for the employees. Number seven, advocate openly and within the established forums for debate in order to influence decision-making and the results. So when you look at these seven points, it sounds like HR should be committed to going to bat for you, the employee, right? That's, that's how I understand it. But remember, the intent we read earlier said it was to assist the organizations we serve in achieving their objectives and their goals. So this is a conflict that arises all the time when there's a, an issue with an employee in an organization and the, the protection, rather than falling toward the employee and getting a, maybe a fair investigation into the complaint or um, HR stepping in and doing their job as far as um, making sure there's, there's the employee is safe because they reported something until there's been a thorough investigation. That's where the conflict comes in. Because ultimately, ultimately, HR is there to protect the company and to continue to get their paycheck every week after they do their job. So if someone in HR begins to get a reputation that they make it difficult for the employer and are constantly siding with the employee or fighting for the employee for justice, they often will be dismissed or or pushed out or there will be a, there will be a way management will make that person's life so miserable there that they will willingly move on or eventually get fired so there's that conflict of interest it's it's and this is part of the problem about hr as a department in my opinion my humble opinion i should say it is too much of a conflict of interest the line there's the line between an advocate for the employee, especially an employee that's been dealing with something possibly illegal at work, that puts with the 
because HR has to do both, it puts them in a very awkward position. And in my opinion, there should be a division between that, that the reporting process for an employee to go through, if there's an issue, maybe should not involve HR at all initially. And there are efforts being made right now to, uh, today, the past few years, there are apps that, that you can use to, to report anonymously. There are programs, things like that. Yeah, I've spoken about them before in the podcast. Um, and, and that's all great. That's all definitely moving in the right direction. But, you know, ultimately, like I said, the department is there for the organization's goals and achieve and what they want to achieve. So if, there's an, if an employee becomes difficult, usually the company's not going to change their achievements or initiatives to accommodate a difficult employee. They're going to get rid of the employee. And some employees should be gotten rid of, right? Some, some are difficult. But when you, when you bring something to someone's attention that maybe is, is unethical or you, you're, you think something possibly could be wrong or illegal, that is a whole different story, right? That's a completely different story. As far as the code of ethics, under the topic ethical leadership, the core principle says HR professionals are expected to exhibit individual leadership as a role model for maintaining the highest standard of ethical conduct. Intent to set the standard and be an example to others. To earn individual respect and increase our credibility with those we serve. So basically, the HR personnel have to exhibit ethical behavior in the organization. If, if HR is schmoozing up with the head honcho and participating in office gossip or um, is a gossip hound themselves and, and just loves to hear all the juicy tidbits going around, that's not an HR professional. That's not. The guidelines for ethical leadership core principle, be ethical, act ethically in every professional interaction. And that actually, that actually should be all of our intent. Any, any professional, that should be our intent. Act ethically in every professional interaction, right? Be a gentlewoman, be a gentleman. Question pending individual and group actions when necessary to ensure that decisions are ethical and are implemented in an ethical manner. So have enough backbone to speak up when you should. That's basically what it says, right? Question pending individual and group actions when necessary to ensure that decisions are ethical and implemented in an ethical manner. So you're the, the head honcho or the boss or, or a director may want to just take action. HR's role is to pull, pump the brakes, pump the brakes, pump the brakes, look at the whole picture and make sure whatever is implemented is done so in an ethical manner. That's their role. That is their job. Seek expert guidance if ever in doubt about the ethical propriety of a situation. Now I am a, I'm a perfect example of this. You may or may not know my workplace experience. Um, so I reported some concerns to my employer on a Monday afternoon. And Wednesday morning, they called me and fired me over the phone. I never got a chance to, you know, and what I brought forward was just not accusing anyone of anything. I just said, hey, there, this is this and this is that. And I'm confused. And it was part of my job to handle things surrounding those two issues. So, and then I was fired two days later. So in the interim of my addressing the issues with higher ups in the company, in the organization, in the nonprofit, on the board, so forth, between, you know, the, that less than 40 hour window, there is no way HR wasn't involved. It's, there's just no way. So within that 48 hour window, HR knew what was going on. So what would be, what would, what they should have done was pump the brakes. She has a right to 
tell us, to tell you if she feels something's, there's an issue with something, especially if it's ethical and it affects her work. You can't fire her. You can't send a fake email from her account with the help of IT. You can't change her job description and say she was overstepping her boundaries and that she was insubordinate and fire her. What, what would, should HR do at that point? Pump the brakes, seek expert guidance, if ever in doubt about the ethical propriety of a situation, which basically means you call legal. In my case, pretty sure legal was involved, so that wouldn't have worked, but that that's their job is, is when they, because ultimately, ultimately HR doing their job, pumping the brakes, get, bring an expert in, pull someone in that with more, first of all, with less skin in the game, someone that can look at everything objectively and advise you what, what should be done in the situation. Because that ultimately could protect an organization from a lawsuit, from litigation, from a PR crisis, from people that had formerly been very respected in the community um, facing public humiliation. So it is a serious thing. It's a, it's a serious part of the HR role. And the last one, it says, through teaching and mentoring, champion the development of others as ethical leaders in the profession and organizations. The next one it mentions is fairness and justice. The core principle. As human resource professionals, we are ethically responsible for promoting and fostering fairness and justice for all employees and their organizations. Intent, to create and sustain an environment that encourages all individuals in the organization to reach their fullest potential in a positive and productive manner. Guidelines, respect the uniqueness and intrinsic worth of every individual. Number two, treat people with dignity, respect, and compassion to foster a trusting work environment free of harassment, intimidation, and unlawful discrimination. Number three, ensure that everyone has the opportunity to develop, to develop their skills and new competencies. Number four, assure an, an environment of inclusiveness and a commitment to diversity in the organizations we serve. Number five, develop, administer, and advocate policies and procedures that foster fair, consistent, and equitable treatment for all. Number six, regardless of personal interests, support decisions made by our organizations that are both ethical and legal. Act in a responsible manner and provide sound management in the countries in which the organizations we serve operate. And the next key point is conflicts of interest. Core principle, as HR professionals, we must maintain a high level of trust with our stakeholders. We must protect the interests of our stakeholders as well as our professional integrity and should not engage in activities that create actual, apparent, or potential conflicts of interest. Intent. To avoid activities that are in conflict or may appear to be in conflict with any of the provisions of this code of ethical and professional standards in human resource management or with one's responsibilities and duties as a member of the human resource profession and or as an employee of any organization. Guidelines. Adhere to and advocate the use of published policies on conflicts of interest within your organization. Number two, refrain from using your position for personal, material, or financial gain or the appearance of such. Three, refrain from giving or seeking preferential treatment in the human resources process. That's another big one, partiality. Number four, prioritize your obligations to identify conflicts of interest or the appearance thereof. When conflicts arise, disclose them to relevant stakeholders. So no sweeping stuff under the rug, hoping the board doesn't find out. 
got to be transparent. They've got to be transparent. The Gentlewoman Boss podcast has been named top 20 best month reporting podcasts of 2021 by Welp Magazine, number 36 of 200 in top entrepreneurship podcasts by Podchaser, and top 20 best whistleblower podcasts for 2021 by CastBox Media. For sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website at thegentlewomanboss.com. So the reason I covered all of this is to show you in a perfect world, right? Every HR person does this. They, they set the bar up here and they are fully supportive of employees and they're going to go to bat for you and they're going to stand up for you when they should, even if it comes, um, causes problems for them professionally, personally, whatever, that's, that's an, that's in a perfect world. Well, that's not the real working world. So, you know, go as a new employee or someone starting a new job, or maybe you've been a stay at home mom your whole life. And you finally, your, your kids are older and you're going to go out there and get a job. And they're so nice. Human resources is so nice when you go for, you know, when you get through the interview and they call you and they say, you've got the job. And then you meet with them and they, you know, ask you, um, you know, how much 401k do you want? All this stuff, all the fun stuff about starting a new job. Here's our employee handbook. And we're here for you. Like I said earlier, any problem you come to us, we're, we're going to help you. You know, you come to us and you're thinking, this is fantastic. I, I, these people are so nice and they're amazing. And I feel like I'm going to be so supportive. And yeah, I'm nervous, but I feel like I have people have got, got my back and I'm going to really, 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 I'm so excited. That I made, made the decision to get out of the house and get a job. Okay. Again, that would be wonderful if all of that were true. And some of it is true. Some of it is true. Some organizations more so than others. The reality is though, you need to understand the other side of human resources. So also on the SHRM website is um, an article from February 19, 2019 by Martin Yates. It's entitled, Why HR Doesn't Exist to Help Employees. This is on their website. So I'm not throwing anyone under the bus here. This is an article that's available to be read. So this is, he is an, um, he's an author, a career coach, and a former HR professional. And he takes questions from people. Um, and then he, he answers them in his blog. So here's, the, here's what someone wrote to him. I find it interesting. I am two years into a career in HR. My work experience includes managing people and training and development. I truly am struggling and considering leaving my HR director role as I am constantly being reprimanded for looking out for the best interests of the employees. My manager feels that my role is to offer benefits, oversee recruitment and hiring, and keep us legally compliant in our processes. Is this typical in most companies? Am I missing something? Should I go back to managing, training, and development? So here's part of his answer. I will put the link to this in the podcast notes so you can read the whole article. But here's the, the gist of his reply. He says, in truth, HR does not exist to help employees, although much of what we do and how we do it achieves that goal. The main job of HR from the C-suite point of view is to protect the company by delivering competent employment candidates on a timely basis, supporting effective and legal recruitment and selection procedures, and keeping the company's behavior on the right side of the law at all times and in all matters. If you can help employees along the way without jeopardizing the company, more power to you. But while HR is often seen as employee-centric, all you have to do is follow the money to see who it really serves. And that pretty much sums it up in a nutshell. Follow the money, right? HR is there to make the company money by bringing them highly qualified, talented, hardworking people, because the more of that you can bring in, right, if you can recruit those high performers, you're going to, it's going to make the company more money. It's all about the money. That's like he says, follow the money, right? So you're probably wondering, well, 
they told me if I have any problems at my new job to come to them, what am I supposed to do now? What? I, I don't know any of my coworkers, who else am I going to talk to about this? You can still go to HR for help. If you're, if you're an hourly, if you're on an hourly wage and you open your paycheck on Friday and it's, there's 10 hours missing, you go to HR and you say, my, my paycheck is short 10 hours. They're going to fix that for you. If you take your vacation and a couple weeks later, when that payroll rolls around and you don't have a paycheck, you go to HR and you say, Hey, I didn't get paid for my vacation. I have accrued patient, you know, vacation time. They're going to fix that for you. Say so you want to change something with your W2, your tax form, right? Like I want to um, make some change with that. HR is going to help you for that. But there are some things you should be very cautious about uh, telling HR. And there's, um, I'm just going to go over a few of them um, that you want to be very careful because again, you have to remember HR is there to protect the interests of the company and its goals and what it wants to achieve. So say you need to uh, take a leave from work. Maybe you have to care for a sickly relative. Maybe you're having major surgery and you need time, you know, for therapy and recoup, recouping. You've got to take, um, you haven't, say you have a new baby and you're going to take your maternity leave. If you are considering that maybe your parents aren't going to get better and this may become a permanent caregiver issue for you and, and, or that your husband, your husband just got a promotion and with the new baby now and you're home a couple of weeks, maybe you won't have to go back. He, he just got that promotion or you're out on medical leave and the doctors give you some news that's not so great. And this is going to be a much longer procedure issue um, narrative than you ever expected when you first, you know, knew there was something wrong. So maybe I'm just going to leave. You don't ever want to tell HR any of that before you go on leave. So you don't want to be planning to leave while on leave and voice that to them because you become a flight risk. And, um, you know, they, there's, there are laws to protect you in, in like maternity. There are laws that, you know, allow for maternity leave, things like that, and even medical leave. But so they might not be able to fire you, but they could demote you. They could give you a job well below your job description. They could make life kind of really miserable for you. So then you just wish you had take, you had quit. So just be very careful disclosing that. And most of those things are personal things and your employee, your employer, HR, that's not any of their business until it needs to become their business, right? Also, you don't want to lie to get a leave extension so, or say, um, you know, you don't want to make up having a, a death in the family and tell them you need, you know, leave because they can kind of find that out. You know, we have Google, Google search, and they can look for obituaries and things like that. So you just need to be careful. Um, you know, you don't want to lie or make up excuses to HR. Um, that will be something, if they're doing it right, it's going to be recorded in your personnel file and that could come back to haunt you. So most organizations now are giving people a, a decent amount of personal time off and sick leave. So if you, if you need a mental health day or you, you want to take off to Bali for the weekend, last minute, just, just be up and up and say, I need to get out of here. I need a break. And, you know, use your personal time off or whatever, but it's much better to go the honest route. Don't lie to HR. Um, another thing you don't ever want to do is lie about your qualifications, right? Like you don't want to give them a faux degree from Brown saying, you know, you have a PhD in something and you don't, because if that ever, 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 actually there was a case last year where it, it happened and some director at the NHS in England or something got exposed. He had a fake degree and he was like a, like had this crazy senior leadership job. So you don't want to ever be lie on your application, um, over exaggerate your, your literal qualifications, your degrees, your certifications. You need the, you need the paperwork to prove those, right? That will also, because that can also go into your file. Um, what if your husband or wife 
is getting, is ready to take a new job and, or, or has a great new job offer, but it might mean moving to another city. It might mean, um, it's going to change childcare at home. So you may have to cut your hours back, anything like that. You don't want to say anything about that until it's a done deal. Because again, if they know, you, you know, there's this potential, you could be pulled away from the company, like because of his or her advancement elsewhere, they're not going to give you a promotion. They're not going to give you more work. Cause you're so there. You're like, a, you're sitting duck for them. You become a liability because you know, they don't, they, they almost feel like they can't trust you. You could be a flight risk. Right. So you, you just want to, again, those, that's your private life. They don't need to know that they don't, if they, if you get prodding, prying questions, it's none of their business, none of their business. Uh, moonlighting, you know, if you're, if you're working full-time and you have like a side gig or a second job, and it's very common now, especially right after the um, coming out of the pandemic, how many of us started our own company or a side gig or, or something to try to generate income, right? To try to, to, um, as a, as another revenue source for our families. I mean, it, it's been, a, it's been an absolute entrepreneurial boom, right? During the pandemic, but you know, especially like, say you go back to your job, uh, you, you, you were working from home during the pandemic and decide to start a little side gig. You worked on it in the evenings. And then eventually now you're, everyone's going back to the office. So you're sitting at lunch and you say, Hey, I started this e-commerce website and it's doing really great. And, and, um, you know, you just sort of, you're excited. You're proud about it. You want to share it. You have to be very careful with that because that they can translate that to mean that you are not fully committed to your job, that you are not putting all of your work effort into your job that you should be because you're, you know, you're distracted with your own side hustle. Um, and you know, they, especially if like things start happening, like you start showing up late or you miss deadlines or you, because of your side hustle, you're not, your availability has changed, right? Especially if your your side hustle is a service industry. Say, so what if you have an appointment with a client at night and then someone a five o'clock meeting gets delayed because some someone's flight and they need to have the meeting at seven? Now you've got a conflict of interest. Who are you going to pick? Those are the things your employer and HR are going to are. It's going to red flag them. Um, I actually, at the time that I was fired, I I had a, a an e commerce website that I started in 2007. I was a stay-at-home mom and I was crawling the walls. So I figured out how to, I learned HTML and I built a website and I started selling vintage and it gave me something to do. I learned a whole new skill set, self-taught myself that, and I loved it. So when I got my corporate job, I still had my website, right? On the weekends, I used to list stuff and I did trade, I did uh, pop-up show, shows and things like that. Um, I mean, I gave 200% to my job every day that I, every hour and minute that I was there and there, I have tons of testimony to that, but, um, a moonlighting side hustle, even personal brand building. Now I'm all about it. You know, I think it's, it's important, um, as I am a living example that you can get fired like that and, you know, there you are jobless, right? If you build your brand online and you become a thought expert in, in a field or in, a, in something you're passionate about that you love or that you want to affect change in, that can be something, a protection for you to fall back on. And there actually are very successful entrepreneurs that, you know, have said they, part of the reason they were fired is because they would not take down their personal brand. So it's a fine line. I think the year and a half Again, the, the the time the pandemic stole from us, uh, perfect, you know, from us being in the office, from it gave us time, but it stole so much time at the same time. It's so so weird. Sometimes I go down that rabbit hole and uh, such a strange time period. Uh, anyway, back to topic. I think the the fact that a lot of people had to pivot and, and try to recreate what they were doing or find a new way to sustain themselves. It's been personal branding has 
you know, skyrocketed. So I think an employer may have a, this may become less and less of an issue, right? As long as they know you're doing your job and you have to, you have to be, you have to be proving you're doing it, that you're going above and beyond. Um, and that your job with them isn't suffering because of your, your personal brand or your side hustle, things like that. Um, you know, again, I feel that the fact that I had my e-commerce business to fall back on and that I started the gentlewoman boss, uh, has been a saving grace in and of itself to some degree. Of course, nobody's buying beautiful vintage gowns when you can't go to any events. So, you know, business definitely suffered because of that. The point is I had, I had a brand out there that was established aside from my corporate identity. And that also can help if you get fired, if you get furloughed, if you get let go, you know, you don't feel like your entire world dissipated overnight because you have, you, you still have things, missions, passions, hobbies that you can devote your time your efforts, even volunteer work. Volunteer work is, is an amazing thing because again, if you lose your job or you get laid off, maybe that means you can devote more time to your volunteer work. So it's, it's on the way you look at it. Um, so if, and you will get the sense of the, as you, you know, work somewhere, you, you begin to get, um, a sense of how these things might be perceived. So be sensitive to picking up on that. I wouldn't probably blab about it all in the beginning until you do have some sense of what what's going on and then if it seems and sometimes it can your personal brand can be a way to help promote the organization the company you're working for and I had that happen as well I um we had vendor fairs and things and I used to come in as a vendor and sell my stuff which brought my network of people that, you know, shop for me and, you know, are in the vintage community brought them to their vendor events, to their, you know, pop-up shop days, things like that, that were, were essentially fundraisers as well for the organization. So sometimes, and you have, and if you can argue with that, like if, if they bring it up to you and they, you know, is there a way you can make your personal brand work for them too? Smart, smart move. Okay. It also talks about lawsuits you filed against employers. So if you have a new job, right, it might not be a great idea to tell them that you sued or are suing your ex-employer or you previously were involved in litigation in the past. Regardless of how innocent you were, right, for whatever reason brought you to litigation, it is you become... Um, I forget what the, the word, you, you, be, you, you become a very suspicious person in their eyes. It's just how it is. It's the fact of the matter. You, you know, and first of all, you don't want to get into your whole story, right? At a, with a new employer about what happened, what, what went wrong, but it, it's just the nature of the beast. You know, you become a threat so like that, that fear of them becoming your next target with a lawsuit is, is huge and valid and real. So even if in, when you're job searching, if you disclose that they're not supposed to discriminate against you because of it. Right. But it's illegal for them to do that, but it still happens. It happens all the time. It would take an extremely, um, open-minded, empathetic, compassionate, forward-thinking, trusting organization to be able to like pass that, right? Because again, they don't know all the details. And even if you told them everything, they're still only hearing one side of the story. So um, that's something, you know, you just have to be uh, aware of. I know firsthand it is it's an absolute reality. So, you know, we, you just, with all of these things, right, you want to consider, try, you have to step outside the box of yourself and try to imagine 
as the employer, how, how will this information affect how they view you as a potential candidate to work with them or as a, or if you're a current candidate, whether they want to work hard to keep you and promote you and give you more responsibility and um, trust, like, do, you know, is it going to affect the trust factor in your, in your, with the organization? So with all of that said, right, um, HR can help you immensely, you know, succeed in your role. You just need to be aware of drawing a boundary as far as how much to share with human resources. You know, they're, they, um, they do have a play, you know, they play a serious role in the organization and most times they do what they can to support the employees. They do. So, you know, that said, we actually have an example in the news right now about an organization where, um, they did not take complaints of employees seriously, constant sexual harassment, a frat boy culture, and now in a huge PR crisis at Activision Blizzard. Part of the issue that those that have come forward, and there are many dozens, I think by now of women have come forward, they said, according to the complaint filed, it says employees were allegedly discouraged from complaining as human resource personnel were known to be close to the alleged harassers. And as a result of this scandal now, um, the Blizzard Entertainment president, Alan J. Allen Brack, has resigned, has stepped down, but also Jesse Meshuk, the company's senior vice president of global HR, has also quit. And that's very indicative of a huge cover-up culture because he knows the the VP of global HR, he knows exactly what he is responsible for. And the fact that there was this fear culture of speaking up, that, you know, this culture of fear and silence because of the good old boys club, this is, this is going to be one to watch past the popcorn. This is the, you know, this is the reality of when organizations, um, regardless of how much revenue they bring in or uh, their reach or their market or their stocks and shares and all the all the bazillions of dollars they're making, if co company culture is toxic or leadership is toxic or there is a fear-based culture of silence, it will destroy the organization. So, you know, again, it's something I talk, I advocate for constantly, the, the board accountability, um, you know, just because someone's in the C-suite doesn't mean they're above the playbook, right? The, it has to start from the top down. The, those senior leaders, that tone of culture starts at the top down. I mean, you're talking the president of this huge organization, multi-million dollar organization, and it's VP, Senior Vice President of Global HR. That's not mid-level leadership. That's top of, top of the pile. So it'll be very interesting to watch that play out. And um, also, I'm sure a lot of um, warning lessons that will come out of how that plays out in the days ahead. So those are some of the things about the role of human resources in the, in, you know, in a company as a, someone searching for a job, getting a new job. Uh, I, I, you know, I especially think of this information from the eyes of a high school or college graduate going into the workforce for the first time. I mean, maybe you had a paper route or you, you waitressed, you know, or, or sold ice cream in the summer. Those are, those are great jobs. And it's not to say this stuff couldn't happen there, but I'm talking like really, you know, you've got your degree, you're going into your field now, and you're going into corporate America um, that I, I especially feel. And again, I think of my daughter, you know, she's 19 and how much, how much does she know about human resources? You know, she doesn't. 
And again, as I said in my previous episodes in the series, by the time she goes to her first day at work in an office or, you know, in corporate America, she will know everything she needs to know about all of this, because that's going to empower her to, you know, to, to be really ready for the real workforce. And, and I hate to say, just not trust everything she's told because I don't want to breed an untrusting culture in her, but there it's, you know, the business, it's just a different world. So knowledge is power. I love to say that. I love to say that knowledge is power. So the more you learn about these things and understand the role of all these things in the organizations and how they affect you as the employee, the, the better off you're going to be. So if you listened in today, thank you so much. Um, this is the third episode. So if you haven't caught them, go back, back up a couple. And uh, the first one in the series is the actual findings from the lesson. I share all that data with you. And now I'm doing the breakdown of the one I, I think affects, um, it, it, it was sort of what told me what, what participants were looking for, for information. So that's why I'm focusing this series on that information. So look forward to seeing you next week. And if you like what you hear, if you know someone, a, a, new, a graduate, someone that's getting a new job, um, someone that's going through stuff at work, this kind of stuff, or they're just dealing with an issue, they don't know what to do, send them a link to my podcast. And as always, if you have questions about anything I covered today, if you have questions um, on anything in the survey that you'd like me to really dig into in another episode, just send me a DM on social or go to my website and I have a contact form and you can just put it there. And you know, I'm, I would never mention you by name or your, your organization. None of that is always anonymous. I'll just use it as a, for a content pillar to build on in the future. So thanks so much for listening. I appreciate your support and being here. If you like what you're hearing, go over to um, Apple podcasts and leave a rating and review. I really appreciate it because the more of those I get, the more reach the podcast gets, the more people can get this information and be empowered at work and in their career. So thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Gentlewoman Boss podcast. Please remember to download my podcast so you can listen whenever and wherever you'd like. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave a review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much if you've already done so. It really does help with ratings and distribution of the show. I also invite you to email me if you'd like to share your story or if you have a question you'd like answered on an upcoming episode of the show. Just visit thegentlewomanboss.com and click on the contact tab at the top to email me. You can also follow me on social media at gentlewomanboss. And if you prefer to watch podcasts rather than just listen to the audio version, my episodes are also uploaded on my YouTube channel in video format as well. Click subscribe and when new episodes drop, they'll show up in your YouTube feed. It's super easy. So until next time, remember, always choose to be the gentlewoman or gentleman in the room. I'll see you soon for the next episode of the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast.